Underneath every simple, obvious story about human error, there is a deeper, more complex story about the organization. Sidney Decker from his book, The Field Guide to Understanding Human Error. Welcome to A New Order of Things. I'm your host, Eddie Killian, and this is a weekly podcast where creating conversations and community around building winning individuals and organizations is our goal. After my recent series on former Alcoa CEO Paul O'Neill, Listeners have commented that safety does not have a place in their workspace. Office environments, banks, retail, etc. And that is just not true. First and foremost, let's define safety and make sure that we all are on the same page. The only tasks that should have some form of structured process attached to them are the tasks that when performed, an unintended consequence has the potential to land workers in the hospital or in the morgue. Now, for those organizations that physical injury is not a significant threat, here is the definition of safety. Tasks or processes that when performed by a worker, an unintended consequence has the potential to land the organization in the hospital or in the morgue. Significant damage to the organization. That's safety for the organization. We just had safety for the physical employee or worker. So let's detail this a little bit. If a task when being performed has the opportunity to cause a significant injury or fatality, which on this podcast we call SIF, S-I-F, SIF, of either worker or organization, then it needs to have processes in place that give the worker the tools and the resources they need to mitigate the hazards even if an unintended event occurs. Your workers don't show up to do a bad job, get hurt, or worse. There is a caveat to that, though. Uh, In this day and age, that there are some bad actors and terrorists and some other things, but uh, these are all criminal and intent and have to be dealt with in the hiring phase. Uh, But that's another topic for a future podcast. Your workers show up to perform a day's work, get paid, and go home to their families, friends, and loved ones. They do not want to get hurt or hurt a coworker. It was not an intent when they showed up to work that morning. When an unintended outcome occurs, we must take the psychologically proven local rationality principle into account. This is based on a lot of research in cognitive science. The local rationality principle says that what people do makes sense to them at the time, and given their goals, attention, and focus, and knowledge, Otherwise, they would not be doing it. Pilots not check in for a flight in order to die. Nurses don't go on and sign in to kill a patient. Accountants don't use the wrong formula on an Excel spreadsheet to destroy a company's financials. The local rationality principle is important. If people did things that seem at first inexplicable, it is not because they are doing inexplicable things. Jens Rasmussen, one of the originators of what is known as New View Safety Investigation, 
suggests that it is because we, the bosses, the leaders, and the incident investigators, are not positioning ourselves to understand why it made sense for them to do what they did. That burden is on us as leaders to understand the true nature of work performed, not as we perceive it. Work is being performed in the field by the people who do it every day. If we're the leaders and we're stuck back in the office or we are the EHS people that spend time in the office and have no idea what real work looks like, then that's, those are the eyes that we're looking at it through. And that's incorrect. That burden is on us as leaders to understand the true nature of work performed, just like I was just saying, not as we perceive it. We need to put ourselves in the worker's shoes and understand why it made sense to them to do what they did. If we don't wait until an incident occurs, but rather get out there now and understand the true nature of the work, and we create goals, not rules, specific to assisting the worker to follow a path and watch for potential hazards. Doesn't that make better sense? Go out there and actually see how work is being performed before we start telling them how to do their job? These goals and the path to safe work are specific to the pieces of the task that have the greatest impact on potential unintended outcomes. This is not bullet point how-to lists. This is end goals or periodic points along the path that they are to meet as they get there before they finish that end goal. No one likes to be micromanaged. Poor to outright bad managers, you know the ones, the incompetent or just plain stupid folks. If you don't know about those, go listen to episodes 6 and 21, by the way. Follow a general path. John Maxwell, in his famous leadership book, The Five Levels of Leadership, and he states in that book, and he calls folks like this that we've been discussing, level one leaders. And here's what he says about these folks, that they rely on their position or title to push people, to gain leadership respect, just the title. I'm the boss, right? Here's how they think. They think that they are top down, which means that what they're thinking in their mind is, I'm over you. I'm better than you. They create separation. They don't let the people get close to them. They'll go sit in the truck and lock the doors and make the other guys sit outside and eat lunch. They have an image. They're going to fake it until they make it. If they don't know the answer, they're going to push through it anyway. They don't want anybody to know. They don't know what they're talking about. Strength. Never let them see you sweat. Always act like you are in full control, even when things are falling apart around you. They're selfish. You're here to help me. So in other words, wait a minute, Peter Principal, I've been promoted to incompetence, so I need you to do my work for me and make me look good. Power. I determine your future. You're never going to move up in this company because I don't like you and you work for me. Intimidation. Do this or else I can fire you. And lastly, rules. They use rules. The manual says you must do it this way or that way. Or you can't do this because the book says so. Or company policy is. How to fix the first seven of those ways of poor management. Uh, I think we're going to leave for other podcast episodes. But the last way of thinking, rules, that's what we're going to get into here. We know from past episodes, whether it be the Peter Principle or the Dunning-Kruger Effect, back up there at um, episode 6 or 21, that there are a lot of people out there in leadership positions that are just plain lost in the role. Put it nicely. Because they cannot comprehend how to decide or need to keep those around them in the dark to protect their ignorance, these folks default to by-the-book leadership. Following the rules. 
and enforcing them to the letter upon those they, quote, lead. When we create performance documentation that outlines safety goals and give the worker the ability to reach the intended safe end, then we allow the individual to use their knowledge and their understanding of the specific task and conditions to do great work, not squash them with rules and demean them and infantilize them into oblivion. Side note. Uh, do you have a group, a unit, a division, a facility that has an exceptional worker turnover in your organization? <laughs> if so, the chances are pretty high that you have a level one leader in there somewhere or more. Then they're causing this worker discontent. You are losing your best employees because they are being held back or squashed by ignorant leaders. These people are causing the worker discontent. One of the super cool second order effects of removing rules and implementing goals and worker autonomy is that your rule following level one leaders will stand out through their own failings. Remember, like Paul O'Neill did in Alcoa, he created a culture where giving training to or firing an employee, no matter their importance, if they failed at their tasks, was an accepted and understood lost by everyone. And sometimes it was even celebrated. But the culture was created that it was obvious because the systems were built this way to show up or to um, put the spotlight on these people that were failures in leadership. And you can do that through this safety program and how you build it. And nobody complains about safety. I know this process may sound counterintuitive to what you or your organizations are doing now. But chances are really high that what you're doing now is, quote, the way we've always done it. No innovation, no improvement, no excellence comes from doing the same as everyone else or following a decades-old path. It's time for change. Take a leap and do what is right for your people and your organization. It's tough, but it's worth it. The ideas of human performance, or HP, stem from the post-incident investigations of 1979's Three Mile Island nuclear power facility incident. The Department of Energy took almost 30 years, but they eventually came up with the ideas and some process of HP found through the experimentation psychology and testing uh, to try and fix what happened at Three Mile Island. And here are the five principles of human performance. Number one, error is normal. Even the best people make mistakes. Number two, blame fixes nothing. Number three, learning and improving are vital. Learning is deliberate. Number four, context influences behavior. Systems drive outcomes. And number five, how you respond to failure matters. Back up to the Alcoa thing. How leaders act and respond counts. In the years after the release of this DOE document, its data and information have led to what is now called safety differently. This is a whole, there, this is a whole series of future podcasts, believe me, but here's a quick glimpse of safety differently. Number one, safety is not defined by the absence of accidents, but by the presence of capacity. Meaning, are we paying attention or are we learning from what we're seeing and our people? Number two, workers are not the problem. Workers are the problem solvers. Want to know how to get good work done? Go talk to the people that are doing it. 
Number three, we don't constrain workers in order to create safety. We ask workers what they need to do work safely, reliably, and productively. No more rules, no more laws. Ask them what it takes to get good quality work done. Number four, safety doesn't prevent bad things from happening. Safety ensures good things happen while workers do work in complex and adaptive work environments. In other words, when you pull the rules away and you just give them the path that they need to walk on and it allows them to take the steps where they need it to get to that end goal, then they're going to get great work done. But if you're forcing them to stay within a collection of rules and laws that some have been built in an office somewhere and has no idea what the reality of work looks like under all the conditions that work comes in, that's when you get accidents. The current state of safety process and incident investigation is as such. Now, I apologize in advance for getting passionate about this. Eh, no, I don't. Here we go. The majority of safety programs, EHNS programs, or EHS, or whatever they're called in your area, and just about any other compliance program is what's called behavior-based. And these types of systems are founded on the assumptions that workers in this view are a problem to control. People's behavior is something to control, something that you, the EHS department, must modify. Leaders of these EHS programs believe you have to start with the people's attitudes because those influence their behavior. EHS tries to shape these attitudes with posters and campaigns and sanctions and which they hope will impact workers' behavior and reduce their errors. Real quick before I keep going, when was the last time you saw a poster like that on the wall and actually paid attention to it? Just saying even though there is no scientific evidence that any of this works. Oh, wait, because <laughs> you're not paying attention to those signs and posters anyway. And also, another view of this, safety is the absence, this is the behavior-based, safety is the absence of negative events. So, bad things can't happen. Negative events, unintended consequences or outcomes can't happen. That's safety. But we all know that even using machinery that you're not even touching fails because it's made by humans, right? Let alone involving humans in it. So we know that things are going to happen. But what did we do to mitigate the accident as a whole is the real question. And that doesn't, that's not what happens within behavior-based. Let me go back. Safety is the absence of negative events. A system is safe if there are no incidents or accidents. The purpose of safety management is to ensure that as little as possible goes wrong. The focus is on negative events and reducing their severity and number. This often translates into reducing the variability and diversity of people's behavior. Remember I said walking down that path, right? You get to choose your own steps, not be forced into this one single little line. To constrain them and get them to adhere to standards. Again, this often translates into trying to reduce the variability and diversity of people's behavior, removing their individualism, removing their own skill sets and their own experiences and their own understanding about how to perform the task and doing it the way somebody from an office wrote and told them they had to do it. To constrain them and keep them adhering to standards. Those standards were again built, written by somebody in the office. Here's a personal example. In November of 2018, I was on an EHS weekly conference call when the senior VP of EHS, the top guy of the EHS department, opened the meeting with this. And he said, I quote, 
There have been a lot of slips, trips, falls, and turned ankles recently. We have to control the workers' behavior before this gets out of hand. Remember at the beginning of the podcast when I called out those poor and outright bad managers? You know the ones, the incompetent or the just plain stupid folk? If not, go listen to episodes 6 and 21. So this senior vice president that I just quoted fills the bill on both of these in spades. Okay? Incompetent and stupid and self-serving. Added another one to the mix. Because he wants the power to control people. We have to control the workers' behavior before this gets out of hand. Quote, unquote. His ignorance and need to enforce that power of his put many workers in the hospital. And it's like this in organizations all across the country. This behavior in EHS departments is actually the norm. It's been around for a long time. Someone gets hurt and the investigation into the event stops at human error. Oh, this person made this mistake. This is by design and is part of behavior-based safety mindsets. EHS can remove blaming the organization as a whole as being at fault for the incident by saying that the injured worker made a mistake or is stupid or did not follow policy or any number of things. But if they were to truly follow a root cause analysis to the end, which they are trained in, they choose not to, they would find the cause of the incident is always systematic not individualistic. Something built into the system of the organization drew that person into a particular behavior, and that's how they got hurt. If they drew past that, they would be able to fix that system, but that would then mean that this business, the organization, was at fault for the incident, and they don't want that. This is the old view of safety, and remember that term, we're going to get into it quite a bit, the old view, the behavioral-based one. And it can also be called the bad apple theory of safety. And it maintains that complex systems would be fine were it not for the erratic behavior of some unreliable people, quote, bad apples, in it. Um, we're going to talk about complex systems in another podcast, but I'll give you the real quick definition here. Uh, it's when there's a whole bunch of stuff. Conveniently, this is how this works. Complex, right? There's a whole bunch of things that affect a system. So, Somebody's working out in the field and the weather's coming in and they're thinking about the football game that night and their their stomachs, they've got a stomach ache because they ate too much at lunch and uh, it's hot and, and all of those things, right? And they're on a time compression, so on and so on and so on. That makes it a complex system. And when they create, when organizations create, especially the behavioral based ones, their task performance rules sitting in an office, they have no idea what that complex system looks like. None whatsoever. But they could know that it's a complex system. They just don't have any idea what's complex about it. So again, complex systems would be fine if it were not for the erratic behavior of some unreliable people, the bad apples, in it. Human errors, this is number two, cause accidents. More than two-thirds of them, they say. Failures, number three, come as an unpleasant surprise. They are unexpected and do not belong in the system. Failures are introduced to the system through the inherent unreliability of people. The old view maintains that safety problems are the result of a few bad apples in an otherwise safe system. And these bad apples don't always follow the rules. They don't always watch out for safety. They undermine the organized and engineered systems. Get that? 
organized and engineered? How do you engineer something that has so much fluidity to it? That other people have put in place. People who have no experience with performing the task are the ones who are building these engineered and organized systems. This, according to some, creates safety problems. It's not the fact that the, the, the sum that they're saying there says that it creates safety problems are the people engineering the systems, not the people that are trying to get jobs and work done around them. Here, here we go. This is a little uh, a paragraph here that we get to break down. It's the epitome, the absolute epitome of behavior-based system thought. It is now generally acknowledged that human frailties lie behind the majority of accidents. Although many of these have been anticipated in safety rules, prescriptive procedures, and management treatises, people don't always do what they're supposed to. Some employees have negative attitudes toward safety, which adversely affects their behaviors. This undermines the system of multiple defenses that an organization constructs to prevent injury and incidents. That paragraph embodies the tenets of the old view, and here's how it does it. Human frailties lie behind the majority of accidents. In other words, human errors are dominant, the dominant cause of trouble. Safety rules. Prescriptive procedures and management treatises are supposed to control erratic human behavior. And they don't, so those people must be really erratic. But this control is undercut by unreliable and unpredictable people who still don't do what they're supposed to. Some bad apples have a negative attitude towards safety, which affects their behavior. They don't like us. So, not attending a safety meeting is a personal problem and a motivational one, an issue of the individual's choice. And the basically safe systems that we've created of multiple defenses carefully constructed by the organization is undermined by these erratic and unreliable people. Look at all this amazing stuff we do and these people still won't follow directions. So, in other words, in my words, we those people creating these programs and systems within the old view, are so smart that we have fixed dangerous work. If it weren't for all these mean, stupid, or accident-prone people doing the work. So this view, the old view, is limited in its usefulness. In fact, it can be deeply counterproductive. Think about this. It has been tried for decades. Since 1974 in general, since OSHA came about. There's another podcast about that, remember? Bureaucracies. Across every industry and has had no noticeable effect. I went and I did, I pulled all the data on this. So since 1994, OSHA has been managing uh, injuries and deaths in uh, within industries and broken it down by industries. And... Since that time, there has only been a fluctuation of deaths of small by a small percentage by year, and that actually follows the um, uh, the jobless rate. So the higher the jobless rate, the lower the death rate. So it, it fluctuates; it runs up, it, it's up and down there. But injuries on the job have dropped significantly since that time period by more than half, well more than half. So what's happened is we're, our deaths are staying very close to the same of death on the job, but the injuries are not. And there's a, an industry that's out there now that's been created by 
or trying to work with the old view folks. And what they do is you go to them like an emergency room, but it's not an emergency room. There are no doctors there. And because there's no doctors there, it doesn't qualify as a recordable injury to have that person looked at by a non-doctor. So as long as they don't prescribe any medications or put them in the hospital, then they get away with not having to report it as a reportable injury, recordable injury. And so the companies organizations in general across every every industry has figured out how to uh, what they call case manage so that they got those numbers down. The injuries are still there. It's just that the, the, our, our poor employees are, are not getting the best care possible after being injured on the job uh, for the sake of the business's benefit. So safety improvement comes from abandoning the idea that errors are causes and that people are the major threat to otherwise safe systems. You got to get rid of that. Okay, progress on safety comes from embracing the new view, which is creating goal-oriented safe programs, programs that are being created with the help and the skills and the resources and the knowledge from the people in the field that are actually producing that work and doing those tasks. So get out on your sales floor or walk into the cubicles or meander out into the shop or drive out into the field and talk to your people. Ask them questions. Let them tell you what the hazards are. This is new view, right? And this comes back to episode four for how to ask the right questions and how to best avoid them. How do you best avoid those hazards? Find out from the people that are doing it every day. Let them know just by talking to them and asking them that you're listening to them and that you want their skills and their experiences to help lead the company into the future. Value them. You will be amazed at how quickly that change occurs and is accepted by those same people who, when it comes down, and when you look in your past histories of all these decades, of all this old school, old view stuff, They never wanted to change, and they always hated seeing something new come down the line. But when they've got skin in the game, and they're being listened to, it changes everything. Well, I think I've done a pretty good job of diving into Safety Defined. In coming episodes, we'll continue to dive deeper into these ideas, their reasoning, and the real-world observations. And we'll see how we can ensure that these processes drive us, individually and organizationally, into excellence and how the effect of well-managed safety affects our lives, our businesses, and our organizations. Links to all the quoted resources are in the show notes and in the transcript on my website, eddiekillian.com. Join me next Tuesday as we travel the path of what is difficult, perilous, and uncertain as we explore introducing a new order of things. I'm your host, Eddie Killian, and this concludes episode... 22. For exclusive content, notifications of each episode release, and sign up for my newsletter, head over to the website eddiekillian.com. Click on the link in the show notes and join the conversation, or contact me directly at interesting at eddiekillian.com. A New Order of Things is available to listen to completely free on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and all the other places that you choose to find your podcasts. Don't forget to click subscribe and leave a quick review. Oh, and please share a new order of things with friends and coworkers.